Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me. Uh, here we are in Sydney, Australia, producing our, our podcast and distributing it around the world on the World Wide Web, of course. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening in. We are getting listeners from all over the world, which is um, really amazing. Uh, we've only been running for about five or six months and um, already the response has been great. So thank you. If you're one of our regular listeners, if this is your first time tuning in, great to have you as well, of course. Today we've got an international guest, Gretchen Men, a fantastic uh, US-based guitar player. We had uh, a great conversation with her about her really broad um, uh, career. I, I knew of her as a rock instrumentalist, but there is so much, much more uh, to Gretchen than just that, and we'll, we'll find out about that all right, but before we move on to that interview, a um, bit of a heads up, our good friend Michael Dolce. Now, you'll, you'll know Michael. He was uh, our very first guest on the show and just a couple of episodes back on episode 15, um, uh, that episode covered um, actually going to one of Michael's master classes. He is a fantastic guitar player and a fantastic teacher. And um, if, if you heard that episode, you know that I left that place thoroughly inspired, um, as did some of the other guys in the in the workshop as well. So if you want to know what happens at our Michael Dolce Guitar Clinic, tune into episode 15. Have a listen to that past episode. But uh, we want to let you know Michael's got a whole bunch of new dates coming up uh, in October and November. Um, October the 4th, he'll be in Sydney. Uh, October the 5th in Queensland. The 13th down in Melbourne. The 18th in Canberra. Uh, 26th uh, out west at Dubbo, uh, Newcastle uh, the 7th and 14th of November and there are dates in New Zealand and Perth to come. So if you're anywhere near those cities um, or those centres, it is so worth getting to a Michael Dolce uh, masterclass. Now to celebrate and promote these classes coming up, um, Michael is partnering with us, the Guitar Speak podcast. Um, with a massive giveaway. There's some really cool stuff now. The details are being put together as I speak. Um, So what you really need to do is keep an eye on our Facebook page, Guitar Speak Podcast on Facebook, and also Michael Dolce Music on Facebook. And um, yeah, there'll be details about stuff coming out. But Michael's organized some really great stuff to give away. So it's definitely worth checking out. All right. Hey, just a little bit of context. By the way, it is September the 10th, 2016 in Sydney as I record this. So uh, if it's 2017, um, we're not giving stuff away anymore. (laughs) You've missed it because I know people dig through our back catalogue. But uh, as of today, that's what's happening. Anyway, back to our featured artist for today, Gretchen Men. As I said, I just had a great time uh, talking to Gretchen and finding about her career. So uh, let's go to that right now. Okay, Gretchen, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, um, I first knew of you as an instrumental rock guitarist and, and you've had a great career doing that stuff. But recently, and I feel like I'm a bit late to the party, but I've realized you know, you've got a really deep classical guitar background. Um, what came first, um, the classical music or were you always a rock player? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I, I would it's not an easy answer, actually. I think because um, I would say I almost sort of started at the same time, and I feel like my love for both worlds developed around the same time as well, mm-hmm. which is that my parents were both very musically diverse, and from the time I was a little kid, actually, I would I I think I probably was exposed to classical music 
earlier, like my mom was always really intent on taking me and my sister to like the ballet and we were, gosh, we were even going to see operas when we were like little kids because she was just really into making sure her kids got, you know, some cultural enrichment. Wow, cool. But then, um, you know, around the the requisite age, I got into, um, uh, you know, rock music. And actually, I guess a little bit before rock, you know, I, I, I liked, you know, I remember hearing, having Elvis albums and you know david bowie and michael jackson as a little 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 kid sure and then um so like on the radio around the house sort of a thing yeah exactly um well i remember my dad had like a michael jackson's thriller and just being like you know a little kid and thinking like this is just so thrilling you know especially with the video that has the zombies and you're like scared of the video but it's also (laughs) really exciting um so I, you know, I like that stuff, but you know, I was, I was a normal little kid. I, you know, I, I took the requisite piano lessons, but you know, I played outside. I wasn't inside practicing an instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, but around, I think 15 is the age of Led Zeppelin for most kids or okay. thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, that's, right. that's, that's when I got, um, that's when I got into things like, you know, Led Zeppelin and ACDC, you know, which is actually more of the music of my parents' generation, but that's what was in, like, at my high school. Like, you know, yeah, there were people who were listening to, you know, the modern stuff, you know, grunge and all of that. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, it was more like that all of my friends kind of realized that our parents really had cool albums. So I remember, listening, you know, my friends and I making each other, like, mixtapes of, like, you know, Led Zeppelin and Cream and yeah. ACDC and cool. Creedence Clearwater and, nice. you know, all sorts of stuff. And um, because I was um, getting interested in rating my dad's record collection, that's when I started discovering you know, more guitar-oriented stuff. And okay. that was also around the time that my dad, who uh, was a music journalist, was like, honey, do you know what I do? <laughs> You know, it's like I feel like most kids, I kind of reduced my parents' occupations to like simple one word, you know, compartments in my yeah, brain. Sure, you sure. know, so my dad was a writer, and yeah, I guess this press, I could say, oh, I guess maybe it had something to do with guitars. It was GPI. I remember that when I would call yeah, him yeah. at work. Um, and that's when he was like, honey, like, I actually know something about this. And, I'm, you know, my parents are both cool. So it wasn't like it was a revelation that they might know something. Sure. Cool. But that's when I was like, wait, you mean you like actually really do know this stuff? And that's when I started, you know, he was thinking like, okay, you know, you like Eric Johnson. Have you heard of Steve Morris? You like Jimmy Page? Have you heard of Jeff Beck? You know, here's a Johnny Winter album. He was the editor of Guitar Player at some he stage. Was. Yeah, he cool. was. He was. Um, and the, well, I, I, I won't say it's unfortunate, but I think um, a common misconception was that somehow he guided me in that direction, which he, he really didn't. You know, both my parents always said that they would just kind of wanted me to figure out what I wanted to do. But, you know, it just sort of happened through being a natural, you know, just adolescence. You know, you get into rock guitar because that's what, that's what you get into around yeah, that time. Cool. And he happened to be able to point me in the right direction. And that's great. Actually, cool. by the time I started playing guitar, he hadn't been at Guitar Player Magazine for a few years. Okay. okay. So, yeah. um, so there wasn't overlap in that, but certainly a lot of, um, you know, hey if you like steve Vai, you should also check out you know ingve monstein and yeah you know, sure. he, he knew he knew Dinkenberg. his guitar players that's awesome <laughs> 
So you're listening to all this stuff? Yeah, so I'm listening to all this stuff. Um, but at the same time, I'm also listening. I got into things like um, I think my dad turned me on to Django Reinhardt. Oh, okay, and, yeah. Um, and then Frank Zappa and the Dixie Dregs. Like, I actually remember going to see – it was one of those things where, like, okay, my dad's like, okay, you like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and Eric Johnson? We're going to go see Steve Morris play awesome. at Stanford. And so I remember going, and I was, like, 15, and going to see Steve Morris play and just, like, having my mind blown. <laughs> like, I and because he seemed so normal and so down to earth, yeah. and he, you know, he wasn't doing things that, like, a lot of rock stars do in terms of, like, the flamboyant, you know, costuming or anything sure, like that. Sure. You know, and so you just think, like, oh, this guy just seems like such a, a nice, normal guy. And then he gets up on stage and just annihilates everyone. Um so I started getting in like kind of early on, like very shortly after Led Zeppelin is when I was like buying every Dixie Dregs album. And right around the time, I think I think I got, you know, 40 Frank Zappa albums and <laughs> super into Django Reinhardt. Cool. Um, but then by the time I got to college is when, you know, I, and at that point I had a guitar, but I feel like um, at least growing up, more okay so where i live in california it's really it's basically it's a town that stanford university's in and so mm -hmm. it's a town that has since become very unaffordable but um but at least when i was growing up it was it was very it's always been very academic and so from you know even the public schools they have you thinking from a very early age like unless you're getting straight a's like you you know basically like who knows what could happen to you like you will never be accepted in a college and therefore like your life will be over sure. but that's like it's the mentality of the region and so even though i was really interested in music at the time it's like that was the year that we're taking sats and we're having to apply for colleges and things like that and so it's like okay yeah i had a guitar i picked it up i had a couple of lessons but there wasn't time for that i was just completely immersed in trying to you know get my future planned out okay yeah so it was really once I got to college, my first year of school, that I was like, that I had heard that the, um, that the classical guitar teacher for all five colleges, his name is Philip DeFremery. Um, I remember somebody, another guitar player, telling me like, hey, Philip DeFremery, oh, you know, he's amazing. He was a student of Segovia. Wow. And um, he has perfect pitch and the most insane ear imaginable. And he has perfect technique. And all of his students end up with perfect technique. And I thought, okay, sign me up for the course in perfect technique, you know. Um, and, and for me, it wasn't a stretch. I always loved classical music. Sure. Um, yeah, you'd already been exposed. Right. And so I, um, I signed up for lessons with him. And um, to this day, I mean, I, I cannot say enough good about him and how fundamental he was in my even thinking it could be an option to go on to be a professional guitarist. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very easy for people to get it in their mind if you didn't start, you know, when you're in the single digits of age, yeah. that, that there's not going to be any future for you. And I remember kind of saying something a little offhanded to him about, you know, my estimations of my, you know, future or abilities. And he was very serious about it. He was like, no, like he, 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 he cut that thinking off pretty quickly and was very, very clearly, he seemed to believe I could be a professional musician. And, you know, nothing like having a mentor or a hero believe in you f to at least give you enough of a, well, maybe this is possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and make you, you know, and, and I feel like that um, what I always appreciate about his teaching so much is he taught me from day one as though I would be a professional musician. He didn't 
teach me as somebody who is coming to guitar, you know, a little bit later, you know, sure. first year of college to start guitar is, you know, by a lot of standards, really, really late. Yeah. Now in, so, in America, so college <laughs> is that, that's the step after high school. Right. Exactly. Okay. It's so, okay. so it's when you're like 18 years yeah, old. Yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, I studied with him. Um, I, I graduated a year early, so I had three years of study with him. Okay. Um, but you know, that was, um, I, I've since actually made some pilgrimages to the East coast. So I live in California. Yep. My school was, um, in Massachusetts. So I've actually done times where I've flown out there for like, you know, three or four days and just done basically like a master class of like just six hours a day for, you know, two or three days when I can with him. Great. Great. So he's on the East coast now. Yeah, he is. He teaches for the, um, there's a five college area in, um, New England and Massachusetts, and it's for um, Amherst, Smith, Mount Holyoke, UMass, and Hampshire colleges. Cool. So you've done three years of classical study. Um, are you mm-hmm. are you playing out? Are you doing anything with it, or are you just building, amassing a repertoire? Well, okay. So what was what was a little bit? Um, I think what had a lot to do with um, the path I took is because okay, so I graduated um, in three years which at least here is a, kind of like a year sooner than you normally would. Um, okay. But it just, it had, it had to do with, you know, courses I had taken in high school. So I, I ended up showing up to college already with some college oh, credit. Okay, great. So even though it's like, yeah, it's sure nice to save a year of tuition because at least out here, like school is not free. Right, yep. And, you know, you can come out of school, you know, barely, barely not a teenager with, you know, enough debt to last you a good chunk of your lifetime. So, you know, saving a year of tuition was definitely very um, enticing. Yeah, wow. Um, but what it also meant is that, you know, I had this degree in music and I'd been playing it for three years, which is ridiculous. Like, it wasn't like I'd been playing for three years and I sounded like I was had been playing for 20. No, I sounded, you know, like somebody had been playing music seriously for three yep, years. Okay. Um, so I still needed more time under my belt I needed more experience and I needed um it it would have been perfectly preposterous for me to go and get a master's degree you know at that point um and also because you know having grown grown up in an academic town and having kind of just always been in academia like I didn't want to just be somebody who was always under that kind of umbrella okay um as much as I as much as I love it I know I could always go back and that it would be something that you know that would be um, like a comfort zone. Sure. I was going to ask with the with the degree. So obviously you were you're working on your playing, but um, what sort of academic work were you were you engaged in? Um, I studied music as well. So I was studying, you know, music composition. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a general music major at the school that I went okay. to. It was a small department, which meant you know there wasn't like a huge variety of classes, but it didn't matter. The classes were fantastic, and because it was a small department, it meant that you know I got to actually. You know, I, I took, we, we didn't have TAs teaching classes. You'd be in a class with a professor and by your senior year, you'd be in a class with fewer than 10 people in it. Okay, great. So you get a lot of great specialized teaching yeah, cool. from the professors. That's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so at that point, you know, I had been also working on electric guitar and trying to apply what I was learning in the classroom about like theory and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as the knowledge I was picking up on some technical stuff 
uh, on classical guitar, I was trying to apply that to the electric. So a lot of my electric playing, I, I, I won't call it self-taught because I was certainly being taught about, you know, the, the rudiments or the, the building blocks of music. But I, I had only very, very few lessons on electric guitar okay. and nothing, you know, with a consistent teacher for long periods of time. It'd be like, you know, three or four lessons from one guy and then work on stuff for, you know, years by myself and then sure. go in and take two lessons from this other guy or yeah. things like and that. And what would you learn? Would you learn songs, techniques, what kind of stuff? Um, on, on electric guitar? Yeah. Um, let's see. Let, let me try to remember. Like my very, very first lesson when, when I was in high school, it was like learning songs. Sure. I actually still remember my first guitar teacher, who I'm good friends with still. His name's Sam Eigen, and he's recently been playing with Smash Mouth. Wow, great. Um, he's a great guitar player, one of my dearest friends. And I still remember, I mean, bless the man. I remember being, whatever, 15 years old and being like, can I learn Too Many Notes by Steve Morris? And he's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he tabbed it out for me. Cool. <laughs> I was like, you know, how many teachers would not just like laugh at your student and just be like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> but he did it, you know, not that I could like play it well, but I remember sitting there and working and working and working on the alternate picking. Yeah. Um, but then with other teachers, it would be everything from one guy I worked with a bit on um, kind of like a jazz approach to improvisation, which obviously mm -hmm. one cannot, one cannot master in a handful of lessons, yeah, but sure. it's still... It gave me um, some basic things to, to think about and some awareness of some concepts that um, have been helpful. Mm -hmm. um, cool. What about bands? Yeah. Did you um, did you end up playing in bands, jamming, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, you know, interestingly enough, um, I feel like maybe because of my late start, start to music, one of the things that I really missed out on was having kind of a casual camaraderie. You know, like being able to just get together and learn my instrument with other people who are learning their instruments. Sure. Um, so it was kind of like I had to get myself prepared to play in bands. And then it was like immediately then being professional, mm -hmm. which is a little bit hilarious and daunting, you know, when you think about it, because it means that it's like you're showing up for a paid gig and like you have to sit there and, and actually ask people, what do I do at soundcheck? Like, like I really don't know what to do. I don't want to uh -huh. look like an idiot yep. on stage. Yep. So you're kind of growing up in front of people who are expecting you to be professional. On the other hand, the good thing about it is you learn really fast. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, I started playing in bands, um, gosh, like right out of college. Yep. Um, and things of various longevity and various degrees of seriousness um and really the first i'd say true like serious professional band i was in was a, an acdc tribute yep, band yep. which you know easy enough i loved acdc right. and i i recognized that from a a classical kind of well with, with more classical training that um that unless i wanted to be like the biggest bore ever to watch on stage that it would be fantastic to play music i loved in a rock band where my very role in the band mandated a certain amount of you know uh of stage presence you can't be angus and stand still you know exactly so. yeah so you took the angus role in in the band i did i, I did <laughs> my first real now your stage name was awesome what was your stage name 
they uh, they all took on the feminized versions <laughs> of uh so i was agnes young <laughs> But, but that was carried over that was that that was attached to the role not to sure. me because the girl before okay. me was agnes the girl who's in there now is agnes yeah, right. but yeah that's great but it's actually just as well because i mean not not to minimize the band i mean they're like they were fantastic for what they did but um it, it's more like you know some of my first gigs ever those aren't you know i don't think most people would really want their first gigs ever like publicized sure. you know sure. now in the days of you know cameras and youtube we're accountable for everything yeah. including you know the, the maturing that we do over the course of a, a career yeah so how'd you um how'd you learn the material i i, I gather you're a pretty good reader from all the classical work um how did you learn the acdc repertoire uh, actually, <clears throat> I did that all by ear, I think. Um, okay, cool. And I, I might have, I don't, I don't have any ACDC tab books. Uh -huh. So I, maybe, maybe I referred to them sometimes, but I just remember doing a lot of pausing and rewinding. Yeah, sure. Like a lot of it. Because at that point, like I know, I guess they had, they were making things that slowed things down. Yeah that you could keep, keep, keep in pitch. But it's like, I was just out of college. Like I didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. So like I had, I had my CD player and I would play, pause, play, pause, rewind, play, pause, rewind. Yep, yep. I just remember doing a lot of that. Great. That's cool. A lot of classical musicians, um, well, ones I've come across with, some of them are great at, you know, slotting into a band and, and really modifying their approach. Mm -hmm. Some of them really need, um, mm -hmm. you know, the dots in front of them. So, uh, the fact that you work that stuff out mm -hmm. by ear, that's that's great. That shows, you know, two sides, two very different sides, I guess, of the of of your mm. guitar discipline. So mm. cool. So you're rocking out as um was it Agnes? Agnes Young. Ag Agnes Agnes Young. <laughs> that's yeah, so good. headbanging, dot quacking. <laughs> awesome. Playing the licks. Um yeah. Were you playing in SG? Were you were you I was doing the gear I still as well? Have it. Wow, cool. Yeah. Nice. SG and Old Marshall. I still have them both. Fantastic. And you ended up in a Zeppelin band, Zepparella. Did was <laughs> that did that follow on from the from the A C D C show? It did, yeah. Um it started actually I think about maybe a year, year and a half. I, I was only in A C D C for I think two years. Um <clears throat> and then so Zepparella um, started because so Clementine, the drummer who I met in ACD, she, she and I were just wanting to play more. You know, it's like in any band, you have people who have, you know, you just have different personalities, different people wanting to have the band mean, you know, whatever to them. Yeah, and sure. usually by default, the people who want to play the least get their way, you know. And Clementine and I were wanting to play more. And so she suggested that we do this as a way of kind of. Like anytime, say the girls from ACD, she didn't want to play and had the dates blocked out of the calendar. We were like, okay, well, we can still play, but we'll we'll be learning the Zeppelin catalog, which we wanted to do anyway. Yeah, great. And we'll be more accountable, and we'll do it better if we know we're going to be doing it on stage. Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry, I have a very loud cat who's talking to oh, me. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you, <laughs> if you hear, that's it. one of your things. That's that's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, but every now and then you hear them howling in the background. I think the iPhone kind of amplifies it. Um, so, um, so we, we started doing that just really as a way of kind of keeping ourselves busier, but then, um, the girls in ACD, she didn't like the idea of us doing both. So they, they fired us. Okay. And so, uh, Zapparella got very free. Okay. Cool. And you're still doing that now. That's, that's been ongoing. I am. Hey? I am. I, you know what? It's, 
It's incredible. Like, I mean, not to say that, um, you know, I, I, I never was bored or anything with doing ACDC, mm -hmm. but it's incredible that the catalog of Zeppelin, it's so diverse and it's um, both in terms of, you know, kind of technical things and yeah. for, for a guitar yeah. player, but also in terms of like the emotional spectrum, it's, it really survives. It survives a lot of years and a lot of study. Um, and it's a lot of fun to play. Like I always say, like in what other situation are you going to be able to play, you know, the heaviest, most headbanging riffs with like heartbreaking, mm -hmm. you know, acoustic stuff or, you know, really delicate dynamic stuff and then abuse a Les Paul with a bow. <laughs> it's like there's just, you know, you don't get to have that kind of fun. It's Led Zeppelin's an amusement park for a guitar yeah, player. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a meaty yeah, guitar gig. That's cool. What What do you get when you really get inside a player's head? Which you obviously did with the with, with you know, Angus's mm -hmm. style and the, and then Jimmy Page's stuff. Mm -hmm. what, what What do you take from that when you really study intricately one player's style? Oh God, that is such a good question. Um, I think I think what it does is like we learn any language truly any any language in which we're fluently native speaking we learn it imitatively mm -hmm. so you can sit in a classroom sure and and i have and i did and i think it's beneficial um and and you can learn the building blocks of music and you can learn some of the conventions but the way that you really develop your own vocabulary i would say is more by imitation we we imitate our parents when we're babies mm -hmm. you know later on we imitate our teachers and our friends and through the more exposure you have the more you amass a vocabulary that allows you to to say things that are truly yours sure. you know if we only had one influence if we only interacted with one other person would sure sound a lot like that other person yeah absolutely so getting into the the, the minds and the finger positions of some of my heroes allows me to better see where my own voice might eventually fit into the picture. I mean, I think it was Miles Davis who said something like, man, it takes a long time to sound like yourself. Um, you know, so finding your own voice is, um, you know, a lifelong process probably. Yeah. But, um, but you know, by getting to actually learn and, and get to get paid to learn, my some of my favorite stuff is, you know, what an incredible blessing in education. Um, and ultimately, it's enrichment for my my own vocabulary. I would actually really caution anybody against taking gigs if they don't love the music, because whether or not you want it to, what you play will influence how you sound. So if you're playing music you don't like, you're going to start creating music you don't like, I think, or, or you run the risk of it, you know? So it's like, beware of the company you keep and, you know, make sure that the time you spend learning something is stuff that you really do like and enjoy and want to become part of your musical vocabulary and voice yeah cool the um so at some stage you've moved over to writing your own stuff um what what other influences do you bring like you've mentioned steve morse a lot you mentioned the alternate picking for example which i hear a lot in your playing <laughs> i think you yeah you've really you've mm. really got a tight um command of, of that stuff so is that a for example is that a, like a, a direct sort of steve morse um, oh yeah. yeah well thank you very much um uh yeah my, my picking hand i feel like a steve morse fan can spot me as a steve morse fan by a photo of looking at my right hand yeah um yeah. it's a very specific way to play mm -hmm. and um i um 
I, for a long time, had switched back and forth. Like, initially, I played with a traditional picking method. And there's, I think there's even some photos of me holding my pick in the traditional way. And every now and then, I still kind of go back to it and go, ah, you know, there's definitely some advantage. And I actually remember Steve was so kind having a whole long discussion with him about a picking, my picking crisis. Wow. Um, because um, <laughs> what, what was the crisis? <laughs> the crisis was feeling like that the traditional picking method that every teacher tells you to do, that you see all these guitar players with, you know, fantastic technique using, mm -hmm. of it never quite feeling comfortable for me. Um, and and actually, you know, Steve was kind enough to for me to kind of pick his brain and say, like, can you tell me about the way you pick and why? Because I found myself wanting to have my wrist in that position anyway, just because I actually found it more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like it didn't make my shoulders stick out so strange. I felt like it helped me mute the strings better. Yeah. And he was so kind. He just gave me this whole list of why he picks the way he does and the advantages and disadvantages. And that's when I really realized, okay, you know, I, I never have wanted to be, a, you know, um, a, a direct descendant from any one of my heroes. Sure. Not that I would flatter myself to say I would ever be a clone of them, mm -hmm. but, um, but it made me realize, you know what, a lot of what I respond to in Steve's playing and, you know, it's because it resonates with something in me. You know, we have our own inherent tastes. And when something resonates with us, you know, that tells us about ourselves. And so um, that's when I thought, okay, you know what, I am going to try picking like this for a while. And it would just like so much came together wow. for me. I mean, and still, there there are definitely times, just as Steve would say, you know, like some of the limitations are things like speed. You know, it's very true. Like there, there are times like I, I, the number of times I actually pick up my pick in a traditional method, it's more like, you know, I don't know, a couple times a year just to check in with it and be like, do I still prefer to pick this way? Mm -hmm. um, and it's true, like without even practicing, you can play stuff way faster holding it in that traditional way. But um, in terms of some of the complex string jumps, um, you just, I could, I can't do that with a traditional pick hold. Um, whereas having that anchored hand, um, just really helps if you're doing like alternate pick with, you know, you know, across strings or, yeah. you know, skipping strings. So when you say anchored, are you using, um, have you got, let's say your pinky is, is actually touching the guitar to connect your hand? How, how are you doing that? Okay, so what it is, is like in the traditional picking method, you have sort of like the palm of your hand yep. muting the strings you're not playing. Mm -hmm. The way that I hold my pick is I have my pinky extended. So if I'm playing on the low strings, um, my pinky's muting all the higher strings. Okay. And then, um, and then as I'm like, if I'm playing the higher strings and then my palm is muting the lower strings, mm -hmm. I still, you know, I, my, my pinky can do things like, do volume swells or, or, you know, flip the pickups, yeah. the pickup switch or, um, you know, basically it, it, it keeps, it, it keeps your pinky from being just sort of this, you know, useless appendage and actually puts it to work doing things like pickup changes or volume swells or tone adjustments or whatever. Okay. Yeah. How about another influence? Um, I read that you studied, um, Frank Zappa's uh, composition mm -hmm. in a lot of detail in college. Can you tell me something about that? Yeah. Um, okay. So my school was very, very classically traditional. Uh, yeah. I don't even know if we had any jazz classes. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it's very 
classical focus, which again, it's great. I love classical. Um, but by my senior year, I got it in my brain that I just wanted to do a special studies project. And so, you know, despite being very classical, my school is also very progressive. And if you went to a professor in the department and pitched them on an idea of a course of study and outlined why that should be relevant to your degree and got it approved and the professor would oversee it, then you could basically come up with your own class. And so that's what I did. Um, there was a great, very progressive teacher named Raphael Atlas um, at my school, and I loved him. And I basically got came to him and said, here's what I want to do. Here's why Frank Zappa is relevant. You know, um, he's, you know, he's not just sort of a, a, a quirky rock musician. You know, he's, you know, he's doing stuff with the ensemble modern. And, you know, Pierre Boulez is conducting his stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And so I kind of, um, with him, outlined a course of study. And I, it was sort of in multiple parts. Like one of it was sort of like a biographical, his, like historical, more like, um, more like musicology approach to sort of him, which was necessary because the department actually didn't know anything about him or very little. Okay. Um, and, then, um, and then I did an analysis of the girl in the magnesium dress and the shake your booty tango. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually the, um, I think the transcriptions I had were the ones, if I'm not mistaken that Steve, well, not, not the girl in the magnesium dress, but the uh, shake your booty tango, I believe that might have been Steve Vai's transcription because Steve Vai met Frank Zappa, I think when he was a student at Berkeley and he was just transcribing all of his stuff. Yeah, and that's yeah. how Frank was like, there's this kid at Berkeley who's <laughs> transcribing my music. So I, I think that I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure that the Shake Your Booty Tango is a Steve Vai transcription. Wow, cool. Um, yeah. Nice. Frank's up, I mean, to me, he, he always seemed more like a 20th century composer who mm-hmm. happened to have a rock band or who happened to wail on the guitar. But it seemed to... Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Boulez is... is like an obvious connection, um, as you said. Um, but yeah, he just, he just seemed to, to continue um, and subvert, I guess, that, uh, you know, the 20th century classical. Did, did you do much 20th century in, in your course when you, when you said, you did, obviously it was a classical, did they, did they move into the 20th century yeah. stuff? Yeah, I mean, like Schoenberg, Stravinsky, you know, um, like 20th century art, you know, orchestral music, yes. But things like Miles Davis, no. Sure, sure. I mean, I, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't do them a disservice. There may have been a history of jazz class. There may have been. Yeah. But if there was, it was probably only one. And it was probably not offered every semester. <laughs> sure, sure. With um, with y- your own stuff, um, like, again, on your solo album, I, you know, I wouldn't say it has a Frank Zappa aesthetic but there's definitely um there's definitely places where you stretch the idea of rock composition in terms of your, your arrangements and there's some harmonic twists that you that you put in do, do you see any do you see any fruit of the frank zappa study in, in your own stuff oh I, that's a wonderful compliment um i i think um well when i sit down to write something um I guess there are any number of ways that stuff comes out, but I feel like every time I've sat down to write with an agenda, I usually still find myself, you know, you can sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write something in this style. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've actually sat down to be like, I want to write something 
in, in sort of a Jeff Beck style. And then what actually comes out doesn't sound anything like sure. Jeff Beck, like nothing yeah. at all. So it's like I'm convinced that, that however we assimilate our inspirations and influences, I, I almost wonder how much control we really have over how much then becomes detectable, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so what I would say, I feel like the biggest um, thing that I'm conscious of from Zappa and that I admire the most is his fearlessness and his unapologetic, like just do anything for any reason and it's all cool. I mean, he can write stuff for, you know, that gets performed by, you know, the Ensemble Modern, but he can also write Baby Take Your Teeth Out, mm -hmm. you know, and and all of them are relevant. He was just so, you know, I, 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 won't, I won't compare, but like, you know, or say superlatives, but you're, you'd be hard pressed to find a more diverse creative force. You know, everything from doo-wop to like atonal noise music. It's like, I just love his unbridled creativity. Yeah, it was all available. He, he didn't, yeah. he didn't, he didn't uh, edit, he didn't edit himself in any way. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I hear um, in something like Valentino's Victory Lap, your tune, um, the stuff at the start, and I think the end, is that in five? I feel like that's kind of got an odd time before you start the heavy 4-4 oh, four, four riffing. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. It's basically either, you know, however you want to see it, five or ten. Okay. write it to be tricky yeah. you know i wrote it first and i analyzed it later uh -huh. you know and so i'm sure that's exactly the kind of thing that that maybe came from the fact that i happened to love frank zappa i happen to love stravinsky you know i was introduced to stravinsky through the, i was actually just talking with somebody about this, this today through the disney movie of fantasia oh, okay yeah well like like you remember that? many kids yeah absolutely yeah. that's that's where they they would have first heard it yeah, cool. I mean, to this day, you know, Rite of Spring and Beethoven's Sixth Symphony is still two of my favorite mm -hmm. pieces of music, you know. I can appreciate them, you know, obviously a lot more deeply than I did at the time. But but I would say it's why um, I, it, why something would, would kind of just come out without thinking about it that would be in an odd time. Yeah, cool. Nice. Now, on, on that record, um, there's some really interesting techniques. Can I, can I talk to you about some of those? Um, sure, yeah. Scrap metal. You're doing some really cool kind of slap harmonic stuff. Can you explain what's going on there? <laughs> yes, I can. Actually, that is that's a, it's kind of a funny story. Okay, so um, my dear friend and who I played with, and actually he guessed, he guessed it on my album, Jude Gold. Yeah, he helped yeah. co-produce it. Yeah, cool. He is, oh my gosh, like such an amazing guitar yes, player. Yes, yes. And if you've ever heard him do his like slap guitar stuff yeah, it is like it's insane <laughs> it is so cool and i remember seeing him do that and i was like 
I felt like I was like a little kid. I'm like, oh my God, you have to show me how to do that. And so I basically like forced him to sit down with me. I'm like, show me what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. And he would be like, okay. And he would show me and he, he was showing me a slap technique and he'd go bong, you know, and and I would slap it the same way and it would go beep, <laughs> like a harmonic. And I was like, well, how, you know, and he'd be like, no, 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 like this. You just want the clear note, bong. And I'd be like, beep. <laughs> I'm like, how can, like, why am I not able to get this? And I, and I realized, he's like, what are you doing? And then he started trying to do it. He's like, how are you getting those harmonics? And I'm like, how are you not getting these harmonics? <laughs> and then I actually realized, I started tapping up. I'm like, oh my God, you got a full, um, a dominant seven arpeggio right here. You know, you've got your root, you've got your major third, you've got your fifth, and then your flat seven, just right up the string. Awesome. Blah, 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 you know? And that's where and that's where your thumb position is along the string. That's where you're getting the different, exactly. different notes. Yeah, cool. Exactly. And so, you know, if you, if you slap right right at where, you know, the, the octave would be, right? So halfway between the 12th fret and the bridge, hmm. that's right where your octave yep. would be. And so just imagine, like if you were to imagine that your 12th fret is the nut, yes. right? So you have all of your harmonics in the same place that you would anywhere else on the neck. So like at the fifth fret and, you know, stuff like that. So you have them just right there. In fact, you can play melodies yeah, with yeah. them. But in my frustration, I was going, you know, Jude, I can't get these notes. And he's like, you know what? go with it he's like i don't know how you're getting all of those magical harmonics but like go with it that's cool and so i think we were actually because he was helping me you know track some of this stuff and i was just kind of messing around mm -hmm. and he was like okay what you are doing right now is so cool and so it was kind of just a spontaneous thing i was doing messing around just showing him look i still can't get these notes right and he was like no what you're doing is exactly right <laughs> That's great, that's great. And in the tune, you add a little bit of bar to it. That sounds cool. That sounds really great. Cool, cool, thank you. Um, fading, another tune. Um, you're doing these tapped arpeggios, um, but they're not tapped in the sense of, you know, like Eddie Van Halen, three notes per string arpeggios. Um, you seem to be like holding a chord right. shape and um, are you using multiple yeah. right hand, um, you know, fingers in, in these passages. What, what's going on there? Yeah. Okay, so that was, yeah, I mean... I think the first two tapping things I ever did are on that album. Um, and fading is the one that's the most, like, you know, most explored. Mm -hmm. um, I, well, okay, so what I did on that was, yeah, I'm, I'm tapping with my um, three fingers of my right hand, my ring, middle, and index finger. Okay. And what I'm doing is, um, so I have three notes on my right hand and then three notes that I'm hammering on my left hand. Mm -hmm. So because of the way, you know, harmonies work, a lot of harmonies can kind of melt into each other. And so what, what, what I'm doing is I'm tapping these notes to create one harmony and then I'm moving one hand before moving the other so that the harmonies kind of half the harmony will move to create a new harmony. Okay. 
and then the other hand will catch up with it. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's got this real, um, like a cascading kind of sound. So you can hear the, yeah, you can see the har- hear the harmonies kind of blurring from one to the next. That's great. you come up with that uh that's a really good question you know i think by not knowing what i was doing honestly nobody ever sat me down and said you know here's how you play eruption so i i think it's sort of a blessing in not um you know of, of seeing people do something you know knowing like okay you can you can tap these notes but um i think some of it maybe comes about because anything that i ever do with any degree of speed, it's because I've worked it up to that speed. I think some people just have this natural facility of like, they can just, you know, whatever, they can just play a bazillion notes and it's effortless. Um, you know, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm disciplined. I can sit down with a metronome and I can get things up to speed. Yeah. But what that often means is that the lines that I tend to play up to speed have to sound interesting slowly, or I never would have had the impetus to want to get them up Ah, to speed. And so a lot of the things, you know, of course now I, you know, people have sat me down and like, here, here's how you do this. Or I've I've now figured out like, Oh, okay. That's easy to do really fast, but I wouldn't have necessarily in my exploration tried doing that because while it may sound amazing up to speed as a fast musical gesture, Mm -hmm. you know, playing it at, you know, half or a quarter tempo, wouldn't necessarily be, wouldn't have necessarily been interesting enough for me to want to then stick with it for a long time. So I think fading came about of me kind of being like, oh, here's how I do this tapping thing. And then wanting to, to find something that was interesting and kind of realizing like, oh, wait, I can move this other hand, but keep these other notes kind of sustained. And then one harmony just kind of melts into the next one. And that's cool. And then and then I realized I was like, but I don't want this to be fast. Like I, so I was, I didn't want to use tapping in that respect just to get more notes per minute. It was more that I wanted this very gentle sort of non-attack um, that that you know is nicer with your your fingers. Cool. Now that album, Hail Souls, that came out in 2011. Now I've read a few interviews. Um, that, that you've done and they all they always say you know Gretchen's working on her second album or working on the follow-up where, where are you up to with that okay so that album we are it's 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 being mixed the short answer is it's being mixed now wow cool and the more extensive answer is that <laughs> it's um <laughs> Um, it's a much bigger album than Hail Souls. And I, and I, I don't say that as like a diss on my first album. I, I wouldn't have recorded anything if I didn't, if it didn't, if it wasn't honest. Sure, you know? sure. But obviously, um, since, since Hail Souls, I've obviously been working every day to become a, you know, at my guitar playing. And I've also continued to study composition, you know, both by composing more. Also, I have a teacher. Okay. And, um, yeah, so I'm always working on that. And so this next album is, I think, going to be about double the length of Hail Souls. I think it, I think it's like more than 70 minutes. Okay, yeah. And when you say you're um, 
studying composition, you've got a teacher. What, what sort of things are you doing? What are you checking out? Um, well, I mean, okay, so a lot of what I studied in college, it's like, yeah, you, you sit there and you study counterpoint and, you know, theory and harmony and stuff like that. But it's like you realize, yeah, okay, just because you studied it for, you know, a year or semester in college, does that actually mean you can write a string quartet? It's like, okay, yeah, I, I wrote a string quartet in college, and it was a minute and a half, mm -hmm. and I barely knew what to yeah. do. And reading in the alto class, oh, yeah. trying to play the piano yes. was just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it's like. It's a lifetime <laughs> to actually get these skills together. Yeah. And I realized that one of the things that I was constantly after is I kept thinking like, God, I wish I was, I wish that nowadays there was the kind of education that was available to composers of, you know, a hundred or 200 or 500 years ago, you know, yeah, cause um, everyone studied so, with someone. Hey, everyone found someone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I thought, you know, and so I happened to, by, total like i think you know middle of the night craigslist thing i just very capriciously just google or just searched you know composition teacher and um it's this girl elizabeth erickson and she is awesome she studied at the Longy school of music and i think i read some you know some student testimonials about her and she's just she's so cool because she's so um she's she's not dogmatic mm -hmm but she's incredibly uh, well-studied, you know? So she can sit there, I can send her a piece of music and, and without being like, oh, this is really good or oh, this is really bad. She's totally not judgmental on either level, which is great because it's like, you're, the idea is not to talk about like, oh, does my composition teacher like the piece? It's like, what's working, what isn't working, mm -hmm. you know? And so she could say something like, okay, between measures 16 going into measure 17, you cadence, but maybe what if you tried something that was a little bit less clean of a cadence? Mm -hmm. You know, you've established this other harmonic vocabulary a little bit earlier on, and yet the cadence feels a little too straightforward. Maybe play around with that. Cool. You know, or, hey, you've got um, direct fifths between your, um, between your viola and your guitar in measure eight moving into measure nine. Uh -huh. And that's, you know, that's a no-no, the parallel fifths. <laughs> well, uh, unless you're a rock guitarist, in, and then that's all you do, you know. And then it's all you do. Um, and this is what I love about her: she can definitely tell the difference between what kind, what what is idiomatically correct. So a lot of times there'll be things where it's like, yeah, this is clearly a guitar riff. It's going to be parallel fifths and octaves all over mm -hmm. the place. And then other times where I'm writing something that is a lot more just sort of incorporating the electric guitar into a more classical approach of composition. And then that's when you do notice and hear some of those things. And, you know, sometimes you say, uh, yeah, it actually sounds way better if I move in this kind of oblique way or in this contrary motion, or maybe if nothing else, what it does is it makes you consider every note you write with greater scrutiny. And, you know, if something doesn't hold up under scrutiny, whatever that, whatever the reason for that scrutiny, it gives you the opportunity to make it better. Wow. So that is so cool. What a yeah. um what a great way to go about your composition and and to have someone to oh, bounce it off. It's it I, I can't even tell you what an incredible gift it's been. I just I adore her. And and now I've also been working on my album with um I don't know if you know Daniele Gotardo. He is uh he's been, you know, he released a a, um, a whole album of electric guitar with um 
with orchestral instruments. And that's actually why the, the person who, a good friend of both of ours, was like, you guys need to know each okay, other. Like, cool. you're both working on similar stuff. And so he's been helping also with, like, the production of it. Right. And, um, yeah, definitely understands the idea of blending electric guitar into kind of a compositional process. So Great. Yeah, great to have people that's who know so more good. than I do giving me advice. Yeah, so it sounds like you're really bringing not, – not to break into a binary thing, but you've had like two kind of very separate guitar disciplines. Um, yeah, it seems like you mm -hmm. bring those kind of ideas together on the new album. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right with that. And, and that's something that I've been wanting, you know, it's something I had been wanting to do. And then actually the whole um, concept of this album came from, um, I don't know if you know Michael Melinda with Guitar, guitar Player, Player Magazine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He kind of um, brought forth this idea for a concept and was like, you know, hey, what would you think of, of doing this? And it, it could not have been more along the lines of what absolutely resonated with me. In fact, I was just meeting with him about, about the project. Wow, so um, that's great. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there have been some incredibly creative people, incredibly talented people, and people who have you know, helped in huge ways. I mean, Daniele is like just from the guitar tracking alone. Like, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've improved more as a guitar player mm -hmm. in such a short amount of time. And yet I realized I've never actually had basically an amazing guitar player teacher sit with me while I tracked, you know, my whole album going like, check that, check that, try this, try this. You know, I remember we did one, the first track we did by two more days into tracking, he was like, you need to retract the first one. You've improved too much the last couple of days. Like, which is amazing. It's yeah. like nobody, you know, I feel like that once you've been playing for more than like, I don't know, five years or something like that, you get used to this rate of progress that's so slow. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, sometimes even seems like, you know, I don't know, like you feel like it's always these really subtle, small changes over time. So that, you know, you don't ever think like, oh my God, in two days, I just got like, I just learned so much. It's it, it's what an incredible shock and a pleasant shock. <laughs> yeah, like but you said, you get used to a, you get used to the progress, and um, yeah, if the, if that exponentially changes or, or something inspires a push, that's that's really exciting. And um, the fact that you're still excited yeah. about that stuff that's that's awesome. Uh, well, I mean, boy, what a what an endless and beautiful language is music. Is there a timeline for the for the record to come out? It sounds amazing. I think it's going to be well. Okay, so there are a few things that are out of my control. Like I feel it's so funny because I feel like for boy, literally a couple of years now, the whole thing has rested upon my ability to compose, prepare scores. Okay, yep. you know, you know, learn my own parts. My gosh, like I wrote all these parts and then I had to learn them. You know, um, and definitely composer Gretchen is sometimes at odds with guitarist Gretchen who's like okay, you know yep. you know guitarist me is like thinking that composer me is totally unrealistic unre <laughs> because evidently composer me thinks I'm a limitless virtuoso and then I sit down to learn it I'm like what was I thinking why do I have to learn this um, that's great so but now now that now that I've actually done all that I can do and we're in the mixing phase and and the art phase it's crazy to just kind of sit here and be like, oh my God, like, it's not to say that I have nothing to do with the album. Obviously I'm going to be approving mixes and having opinions on everything, but, um, 
but I think what, you know, to answer your question, the best estimation I can come up with is what people are telling me, sure. which is probably, you know, sometime in like the early fall. Okay. Yeah. Which is, we're in the Southern Hemisphere, or oh, I am in the Southern oh, Hemisphere. Oh, okay, Septem September, September-ish. Yeah. Cool, so early spring for us. Okay, yes. Yeah. Cool. That's great. What's well, not far? That's not far. Definitely looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to having it done. It's like I've been working on it for a while now. Right. <laughs> and we you two of that? We put a band together? Is it the sort of thing you could put a band together for? That's a really good question. Um, yes, it's something we could put together. Um, the amount of rehearsing will be substantial. Sure. Um, not just for me, but for the other instrumentalists, mm -hmm. um, which I've learned. I never write music specifically to be difficult, but I think a lot of times I just assume that everything, you know, um, I assume that if if I could do something, then of course these amazing musicians I work with will have no problem sight reading it. But you know what? It doesn't always work that way. And, and also I, I'm becoming more, you know, every day I'm learning how to write better for, for different instruments. Mm -hmm. So um, some things in retrospect, I'm like, wow, I really just was very brutal with my violinist. But, you know, <laughs> kudos to him. Like he just killed it, killed it. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, it will be a lot of rehearsing. Um, yes, we do plan to tour with it, but it's not the same as putting a trio, you know, rock trio yeah, together sure. and just hitting the road. Sure. So. Um, and also I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to limit the album by thinking constantly of how, how's this going to go live? How's this going to go live? I just thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do the album now and then we'll figure out the live portion separately, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so it is what it is. Yeah. And then you'll, you can deal with that later. It, it is. I mean, I know I can play the stuff I did, so, <laughs> but it's more just like realizing like the volume of, you know, of everything, sure, you know, sure. that, um, it's it's like learning 70 minutes of, you know, it, because it's not riff-based. It's not really, I mean, some of the, the some of the songs have the intensity of, like, rock mm -hmm. stuff, but it's all composed music. So I feel like, you know, learning a five-minute rock tune is a different amount of just, you know, time and energy from learning a five-minute classical tune, sure. you know, um, just simply based on, like, you know, the propensity for repetition yeah, and things absolutely. like that. Yeah, so. absolutely, rock, yeah. Yeah. yeah, two riffs, you've got like you've got a whole tune, whereas uh, right. classical repertoire is very different. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Although with, like, say, Beethoven, I always think of him as a riff guy. Um, if you listen to the fifth, he's just sequencing, like, one riff, um, but yeah. da, you know, forever. Oh, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a heavy kind of riff dude to me. It, it is a definitely, and you mentioned one of my favorites, and actually I have been studying – Last night I was studying the Second Symphony, um, and he's like to me he's like a mosaic composer. He'll have this this idea, this motive, you know, the da 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 da, and 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 yet you know from a, a player's perspective, that da 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 goes a million different places yes, and develops yeah. in all these different ways. So it's a little bit different from da 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 da, you know, that that stays as itself. Yes really up until the very end where there's that little variation da, 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 da. Um, but uh, but sometimes at least what I'm noticing in my own music is that can also pose its own challenges because from a memory perspective you can be like oh okay well it's that 
thing that's like that thing that happened earlier, but it's not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a way, your brain is wanting there to be a direct repeat, but then the composer in you is like, no, 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 a direct repeat, that would be insulting to the listeners. Like, you, know, <laughs> you need to develop it in yeah, some way. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Cool. That's cool. You bring, yeah, bring yeah. That, that mindset in. That's, yeah, awesome. Like, I mean, I've said it a few times, can't wait to hear it. So, looking forward to that oh, in the fall or well, the spring or wherever you're listening to this. Yes. <laughs> cool. Hey, um, yeah. I, I hate to shift gear. I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm lowering the tone of the discussion, but can we talk about your gear and guitars and stuff? Of course, of course. I'd love cool. to. I mean, of course we're not lowering the, the tone. I mean, this, this is fun too. You, you've had a really long um, association with Music Man and a really interesting connection. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, you know, for, for for all of the ways in which people connect with companies, you know, mine was maybe a little bit different. The history between my family and the Ball family goes back to my dad um, being at Guitar Player Magazine before I was born mm -hmm. and writing a column called What's in a Name. And um, there he featured Ernie Ball. Okay, yeah. And that began my dad's association with the Ball family. And so Ernie had... Um, uh, four kids, um, Sherwood, David, Sterling, and Nova. Mm -hmm. um, Sterling has since taken over yeah, the Ernie yeah. Ball company. Um, but growing up, like, you know, I knew the Ernie Ball's grandkids. Like, you know, we hung out, you know, with the family. They weren't like, you know, we didn't hang out all the time, but like we were friends of the family. Mm -hmm. And so when I got in... You know, so like at NAMM shows, when I started getting interested in guitars, like we'd go and I'd want to hang out at the ball booth because that, that's the family that, that I knew. Yeah, and that's where, cool. you know, and then and then it turned out Steve Morris and all these other really nice guys were, were Ernie Ball players, mm -hmm. which just further solidified my interest in their music and interest in the company and stuff like that. So when I was first wanting to, when I was wanting to buy my first guitar and I had saved up for it and I'd always been so adamant about like, you know, just because my dad like you know knew people like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this all by myself mm -hmm. and blah 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 and so i had saved that money and i you know was gonna i wanted to buy actually a steve morris model yeah. and basically they told me no <laughs> <laughs> they, were like, come? <laughs> they were like you need a degree in electrical engineering <laughs> to even be able to figure out the pickups well, <laughs> they're like well, that's true what you want <laughs> They're like, what you want is a silhouette. And I was like, oh, can it be blue? <laughs> like the Steve Morse was blue. That's great. Just to back and up the Steve Morse, that had like the four pickups and the, was it like two or three switches? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's stuff that I can't even get my head around now having <laughs> played guitar. Um, you know, and in fact, as much as I was a little bit like, you know, disheartened by them, basically, I mean, they didn't whatever i'm sure if i really wanted sure. it they would have laughed and you know let me buy yeah. it but um but they were like no here's what you want you want a silhouette and i remember they took me around the the, the ernie ball factory and they kind of showed me you know different you know this hey look here's this one body and you know kind of showed me how things worked and so i remember getting back and wow. being like okay you know um and get, being on the phone with with sterling and he was like okay i just talked to ernie and um, and we're going to give you the guitar. And I was waiting for the four, you know, X number of dollars. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I had a feeling they were going to, you know, they'd made it 
clear that they were going to give me some sort of, you know, discount, but I was expecting to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, no, Ernie wants to give it to you. Wow. And I was just, I remember being on the phone, just like dumbfounded. Okay. Remember, you know, I'm a teenager. I've saved up like my life savings, you know, so I can get a guitar. I didn't even know how to play guitar at this point, but I knew <laughs> I wanted to play guitar. Um, and, and you're getting the Ernie Ball me, factory tour and you're not playing yet. And this they give me a guitar. Wow. And so even as whatever, a snotty, you know, probably should have been ungrateful teenager, I was well aware of what an enormous gift that was. Uh-huh. Wow. And I was Excellent. deeply touched and I never forgot. And my entire, ever since then, I always thought anything they, if I ever become a decent enough guitar player, if I'm ever worthy, basically they own me if they want, <laughs> you know, like they, they did something that was so huge for me at a time that they had no reason to believe in me. I was just, you know, the kid of their family friend. Yeah, right. And they did something that was, you know, the kind of gift you remember your whole life. And so um, I, I, I always sort of tried to stay in touch, but I wanted to be mindful about how to stay in touch because I never wanted it to seem like I was asking them for anything. And also, it's like when you're looking at a company, it was like, oh, yeah, our endorsees are Steve Moore, Steve Lukather, John Petrucci, yeah, Albert yeah. Lee, you know, and you're going like, hi, anything I can do for you guys. It's like, of course, no, Gretchen, we're all set. <laughs> you got it covered. Um, right, exactly. Um, you know, so, so I think my approach has always been, you know, to strive to be worthy of the gifts that I've been given. Um, and yeah. And so actually I never, um, it was Jude gold, my friend who sent them my video for Valentino's victory lap. That was my first guitar, the the blue burst and that my very first guitar. Um, and I think he sent it to them kind of through the, you know, one of his buddies, their connection, you know, it wasn't to the ball family because I was always like, don't bug them. I never want to seem like I'm asking for anything. And he, um, and apparently the guy there was like, oh, that's a pretty old guitar. And the next thing I knew, I had my white one um, that's sort of be, the one with the bar that's become like my main Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you playing that a lot, yeah. So that's, a, that's another yeah. silhouette? Yeah, I actually have, I have three silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, two silhouette specials, one silhouette and, um, and one majesty. Okay. That's a, and what, what, it's a six-string majesty. Though. Okay. What's the difference between those, the, the silhouettes? Okay, so that my first one, um, the silhouette, has twenty four frets, um, and uh, and it's got the fixed bridge. Mm-hmm. It is you know an older model, and then the silhouette special um, that I have, the one that's actually um, that one was photographed uh, by Larry DiMarzio. Um, it was recently. It's actually my Facebook profile photo right now, and it was on the cover of a Polish magazine. Okay. Um, and that one, it's got the twenty two frets. Mm-hmm. And um, that one has a fixed bridge. And then the main one that I've been using now has the 22 frets and um, the, the floating bridge okay. with the whammy bar. Yeah, cool. And are you using the, um, are you using the stock pickups? I, I know you do some stuff uh-huh. with Demazio, but is that, yeah. is that pickups as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so the one that I'm using right now is all Demazio single coils. Yep. That's stock. Uh, I think DiMarzio's are stock in all of the silhouettes, oh, okay, I, okay. Um, unless something's changed. Cool. Um, in my um, in my other two silhouettes, the blue ones, I have a, um, a DiMarzio Fast Track Two in the bridge position. Okay, so like a, a humbucker, single single coil yeah, size humbucker. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And what are the single coils? The the true single coils. 
what Damasio models that? You know what? I would have to look it up. They were the ones that just came the, in the okay, guitar. Okay. I think, yeah, I think they're just, what do they call them? Like, um, you know, custom single coils or something okay, like that. I guess but I actually for, don't know the model number. I guess Music Man's yeah. specking them out how they want. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But that's a good question. Yeah, mm -hmm. great. And um, so you got the Music Man guitars. I know you, you play, mm -hmm. um, are you on Les Paul for most of the, the Zeparella stuff? Yeah, exactly. Is that, uh, so obviously, you know, it wouldn't be doing anybody a service to use the, you know, the wrong guitar in a, in a Zeppelin tribute band. Sure, so, um, yeah, sure. I have the Les Pauls and a Dan Electro. I mean, I know, I know theoretically I could get away with um, a Telecaster, but I think the vast majority of people associate Jimmy Ping playing the Les Paul. Yeah, yeah. I remember as a kid being a little bit shattered when, when someone told me, no, he actually played the Stairway solo on the Telecaster. I'm like, yeah. really? But now, but that was a Telecaster that Jeff Beck gave him. Oh wow! So well, that's, the, there's some mojo. That's got in that some one. cool going on. <laughs> yeah. Man, well, I don't know. I'm I'm an old guy, and and old guys always end up playing a telly anyway. So I've got a telly style sort of thing. So great guitar. So I've caught up on some of that anyway. So that's cool. Um, what about amps and things? What what, what are you using there? Um, okay, so I've got a number of different ones that I love for different reasons. Um, so I have uh, an old Marshall, uh, a 1977 JMP. Cool, awesome. Uh, 50 watts. Yeah. That's what I used for a long time with Zeparella and, you know, in various other projects. Recently, I got into two rock amps. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I tried, um, they lent me an amp for this award show that I played at the NAMM show a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. uh, or a year and a half ago. Um, it's a two rock bionics. Um, and I, it was like, love it first note. It was just, I, you know, it had so much of what I loved about the Marshall. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but I found the feedback more controllable and, you know, okay. it just, you know, you, you, you can talk all day about it, you know, trying to describe what you love about sure. it, but I feel like, you know, an amp, is supposed to be your amp when you plug into it and you're like that's how it's supposed to sound mm -hmm. <laughs> so um so i've been using the two rock for zeparella um and i have an angle um se uh, 670 with el 34s okay. yep. in it that i use mostly for my um for, for most of my um original music okay um and then i have an old fender my first amp ever is a a 1966 um, Fender Reverb Deluxe nice. that I actually got nice first from amp. a music store. It really was. It was a, another lucky thing of like a tiny little music store right by my college. Mm -hmm. And before I even knew what I was doing, and I went in and I had the, the guy at the store show me what the amps, you know, he plugged in and demoed them because I didn't even know how to play anything. And I was like, that's the one that sounds good. And, you know, of course, I didn't have the money for it. So it's like I would just come every week and be like, here's 20 bucks, here's 40 bucks. And eventually they were like, okay, take it. <laughs> I'm sick of seeing you. Take nice. your amp and be gone. Nice. That's cool. Very cool. And are you still recording with that? Yeah, I, I record most, of the, um, pretty much all the clean stuff. Like yeah, uh, fading was recorded on. Okay, that one. cool. Mm -hmm. Nice. You, you don't seem to use a lot of processing, or your last record at least there didn't seem to be a lot of mm -hmm. effects and things. Do you, do you do much of that? Right. Um, for my um, my main pedal board for Zeparel, I've got an old um, uh, Crybaby Wawa pedal. Mm -hmm. And then I use, um, I have a Providence uh, Chrono Delay, which I love, okay. and a Providence um, uh, Phase Force. 
that I use, like in a couple songs, like the Rover and, you know, a couple places okay. where there's a little bit of phasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I have um, an exotic effects AC booster. Yep. So that's what's on. Oh, and, and a tuner. So that's what's like on my pedal board right now. But I, um, I love Providence pedals. Like you know, their their overdrives, their delays, mm-hmm. ev- everything they make. I, I love. It's just a question of like how big can a pedal board be and how many boost pedals do you need tonight? <laughs> you know, I, I tend to like as long as you're loading your own gear, like you're you're pretty lean and mean. So. I I, yeah, I sure. have a pedal board that's exactly as big as I need it yeah. to be and no bigger. <laughs> cool. So with the um I guess with the two rock, are you setting that up a little bit crunchy and then hitting it with the boost pedals? Uh yeah, exactly. I'm setting it up for like a good um, you know, like riff tone and then I just hit it with the boost pedal for the solos. Nice. Um, and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll roll down the volume to clean things up. Like when we play Ten Years Gone or whatever. Yep, I have yep. to usually I'll use the neck pickup at, you know, I don't know, maybe about four or five on the volume knob, depending on on the night and the stage and stuff like sure. that. And then um, I don't think the, that my guitar volumes are up at all the whole song, okay. just because it's it's a lot cleaner. And I don't like to go back and adjust my amp. Yeah, you know, that that's if I don't have to. that's such an organic and cool way to do it. Rolling back the guitar, it's um, yeah, a mm. lot of players don't know that, but there's just a whole shade of not only volume but tone and. Uh, the yeah. gain hitting either your pedal or the amp, which has a huge difference. So that's a cool sound. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. What about acoustics? Um, I saw you playing some Django on on the internet yeah. recently. The um, the minor yes. swing tune that that was fun. I love Django so much, and it, it, like I always try to carve out a little bit of time in any. Anytime that I'm not like under a huge deadline for something, I always try to have pure like recreational, like music love study time, Mm -hmm. you know? So like for no good reason, I'm going to learn this thing because I want to learn it or, you know, and it hit me that I was like, I have never learned a Django song. And this was right around the time that I got this new acoustic guitar from Stephen Strong, Mm -hmm. this Eros guitar. And the thing is amazing. I, I, I just love that instrument so much. And, um, and I was like, Ooh, I mean, it's, I, I know it's not a traditional gypsy jazz guitar, but I'm also not a traditional gypsy jazz guitarist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, cool. um, so I had, um, I had sat down really with the intention of just learning a few Django licks yeah. and being like, Oh, I'd love to be able to improvise in this style. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll go and I'll learn a little bit about the language through transcribing some licks. And then I got all maniacal about it. And next thing I know, I'd learned the whole solo like note for note or as note for note as I could hear it. Cool. And then I was like, Oh, but the Stefan Grappelli solo is pretty cool too. And next thing I know, I learned the whole solo. Um, and it was like right around the time that I realized like, okay, you know, my album's still going to take a little bit longer. It's been a long time since I released anything. Mm -hmm. And it kind of hit me. I was like, wait a minute. I'd love to get this acoustic guitar scene. I'm all excited about my Steven Strom acoustic, you know, rather than do an infomercial of a, hi, everybody, here's my new guitar and I really love it and blah, 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 (laughs) blah. It's like, it's a lot more meaningful to actually just make music with it and let people decide for themselves what they think of it. Um, And I realized like, God, I'd been playing the song so much that I knew it really well. I'm like, I bet I could throw this down really fast in the studio. And so I I went in the studio and I, it was really quick. I think it was the quickest thing you know, that I, that I've done just, you know, that I guess I've been 
working on it and just playing it for the fun of it. And so yeah, cool. went in, threw it down, you know, the, the, obviously three tracks, the guitar, the rhythm, and then the two lead guys. Yep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then just to sort of released it as a, a surprise. Probably nobody knew that was going to be what I was going to do thing. I mean, I know I've mentioned Django Reinhardt in interviews and stuff yeah. before, but given that I've, I had never learned a lick of his until, you know, much more recently, you know, I figured it might be a fun, fun diversion from maybe what people were, were thinking. Yeah, that's cool. And um, for people who might not know, Stefan Grappelli um, played violin in, in Django's band. So um, how, how did yeah. you find the violin licks? Were they tricky to transcribe um, and then play on guitar? They were a little bit um, obviously less guitar or guitaristic than the guitar stuff. The guitar stuff all, as you might expect, fell under the fingers fine. Django had two of them. So those of us who have four fingers, yes, we, we should be able to get those <laughs> fingers, uh, our fingers on the legs. I, I'm not, not to minimize it. Django's amazing. And the oh, fact yeah. that he was doing this yeah. with, with two fingers, oh, my God. You know, some of those chromatic lines. Now, I know he used... I, I didn't follow obviously his fingerings. Like sure. I need all my fingers. Yeah. Um, the Grappelli stuff. Um, there was one section where I had to move it down an octave, okay. just yeah. because of the range of the guitar. Sure. But I found a spot that seemed to lend itself to doing that in a musical way. Um, yeah, some of the skips and everything for violin. Mm. Um, it was really fun to learn. I have to say, it was really really fun. It was. Um, it, you know, it doesn't fall into the fingers the same way that guitar stuff does, but um, but it also worked for me at least well on the guitar. Yeah, cool. That's great. Um, so, so what's the what's the acoustic you ran on that again? That's a Stephen Strom, S T R A H M. Okay. Um, Eros. Cool. And what about nylon strings? Like you've got. Um, yeah, what 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 nylon strings you play? Yeah, I have my my traditional classical guitar is a Kenny Hill. Yeah. It's a rock model, and then I also have a Sadowski nylon string electric ah, that cool. is really cool and totally its own beast. Nice. Is that a solid body? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I I think it's chambered. I think it may be chambered, okay. but you know, from you know, as far as the way that it looks and yeah, seems sure. to be, is solid. Gretchen, it has been so good talking to you. Um, one thing I love, you can talk so about you. you can talk about Zeppelin riffs, and then you can talk about Beethoven sequences or, or functional harmony. That's that's been a lot of fun to to um to be able to talk at that breadth. So that's that's heaps cool. Oh well, likewise. I mean, it's there's so many great, you know, music's such a beautiful language, and there are so many cool dialects. Yeah, yeah. You know, and. Um, it's wonderful. Like I love so much about so many different ones. And it's like, sometimes I feel like that the diversity of my interest pre prevents me from getting really good at one of them, <laughs> but you know, what, what can we do other than just follow where our loves and our interests lead us? Yeah, that's it. Cool. So what do you, between now and the, um, yeah, album coming out, have you got, have you got much on? Uh, yeah, I've got, um, let's see, some Zepparello's playing some shows. I'm, I'm actually headed to Italy next week. Um, and some, um, my album mixing's happening there. So we oh, okay, check in okay. on that. Yeah, great. Yeah. And, That's exciting. Um, you know, and also just be in Italy because why not? Um, <laughs> and, um, let's see what else. Oh, I, I've been, I've been studying a lot of orchestration, um, and, 
getting very excited about that. So cool. So um, you're still a lot of study, a lot of practice. Yeah, that's great. More classical guitar practice recently, just because so much of my time has had been very directed towards, you know, album, 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 everything for the album, um, which is great. But now that I'm kind of done with it, it's sort of like, okay, so what do I feel like doing now? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and I realized that I miss playing classical guitar a lot. So that's been um, that's been fun to be picking back up again and like reviewing relearning you know some of the things that i had learned you know years ago yeah that's great and um so what's the best way for people to keep up to date with um with your stuff like your album and, and whatever else you're up to um okay so i got a website it's just uh, gretchenmen.com mm -hmm. um i post on instagram well basically my website has links to all my social media okay. yeah. um i i think i post most on instagram and then, you know, I've got Facebook and Twitter that I kind of neglect, but, you know, I try to try to remember to do it all. But, sure. you know. Great. Uh, yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, yeah, well, thanks again. Thank you again so much for your time. And, um, yeah, it's been so good getting to My know pleasure. more about your career. As I said, I, I knew you as a rock player, but there's a whole... Um, well, there's a whole iceberg beneath the surface of other stuff you've done and interests, so it's been really cool. So, Gretchen, man, thank you so much for coming on the Guitar Speak podcast. Oh, it's so my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there you go. That was our interview with Gretchen Men. What a great musician. Um, as I said, I'm really looking forward to hearing this new album and um, yeah, to seeing what sort of compositional depth she's gotten into and as well as all the, the great playing and chops and, and tone that she's into as well. So um, as soon as we hear anything about that, we'll let you know. All right, it's just about time for us to get out of here. Now, listen, if you want more of the Guitar Speak podcast, we've got a whole bunch of episodes you can access through iTunes, um, through Stitcher, or you can go to guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com and you can find all of our previous episodes. Hey, also remember to check out our Facebook page um, for details on the Michael Dolce workshops and also the giveaway stuff that's coming up very very soon if you're enjoying our episodes and i really hope you are um please share them on the uh on your social networks or, or whatever you do that really helps us get the word out gets more people listening to our show uh, which is always good all right i'm out of here thank you so much thank you gretchen and uh we'll talk to all of you next time on the guitar speak podcast bye now